You can go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 14. The book of Luke, chapter 14. We're going through the teachings of Jesus Christ together, and today Jesus is going to teach us about pride and humility. Uh, so let me just say that there's some sermons that I preach that are kind of uncomfortable for me to preach, and preaching about pride is a little weird, because <laughs> I'm, I'm up here telling you how to be humble. <laughs> so it's just, kind of a, it's just kind of a strange thought that I would be preaching to you about pride. So like, so like knowing that this would be the sermon all week long, I worked really hard to make sure that I'm the most humble person in this church. Okay, like every day, that's all I focused on, and I worked tirelessly, and so I'd like to congratulate myself on becoming the most humble person in the room. Um, <laughs> no, honestly, in, in studying for this sermon, uh, allowing the Lord to confront me on pride, allowing the Lord to teach me what true humility is and isn't, um, I got to say, it's been, it's been one of the most formative sermons that I've ever prepared. So I trust that what the Lord has first done in my heart can also overflow uh, into your heart. So let's pray, and then the Lord Jesus will talk to us about uh, humility. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you cover such practical topics in our lives, in our hearts, as humility, pride. We humble ourselves in prayer right now. We humble ourselves before you as we open your word. We want you to teach us. We want you to speak to us. We want you to form us. And yet, at the same time, we don't. At the same time, we would rather walk on our own, living for ourselves. So, Father, we humble ourselves and confess our pride at the beginning and ask you to teach us about what it means to truly be humble before you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, are you there in Luke chapter 14? Are you there? You got your Bibles? Okay, good. Uh, just to give you your bearings in this sermon, when Jesus wants to teach us on some topics, uh, you know, sometimes he gives us theology, he'll quote the Old Testament, but what he does today is he gives us first a parable, which is a made-up scenario that conveys a spiritual truth, but second, what he gives us is a comparison. So a parable and a comparison to something in real life, that's how he's going to teach us about humility. We're first turning to the parable, um, and just to help you understand what's going on here, Jesus was invited to a banquet, so he showed up at a prominent Pharisee's house, a religious leader, a church guy who knew people, and he was a somebody, and Jesus got invited to a banquet at his house. While Jesus was walking in, he saw how the people were sitting down in the places of honor, and it's in that setting at a dinner party with like famous people that Jesus told this parable about humility and pride. So look at Luke 14, verse 7, says this, now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. Then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. 
Uh, Write down the truth, and then I'll explain how he got us there. Write this down. If I exalt myself, I will be humbled. It's a truth that God has declared in his word, and the, the story, the scenario Jesus made up is meant to show you the reality of how things work in God's world. If you exalt yourself, you will be humbled every time. It's a spiritual law. Jesus drew this truth actually from Proverbs 25, 6-7. He just illustrated it in a new way. Uh, he, he wants us to think about a wedding feast. He said, imagine if you go to a wedding feast. So just to give you that like, frame of reference, I brought a picture from my wedding. Do you want to see a picture from my wedding? Do you want to see a picture? Here's a picture from my wedding. There we are. Aww. That's back when we did know everything. You know, we were young, just out of college, had degrees. And, <laughs> and so think wedding. All right, Put yourself in a wedding. And what Jesus says here is, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, notice it's not your party. Notice it's not a party in your honor. Someone invited you. Do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. So we don't know culturally how this all worked, but Jesus is imagining you showing up in a wedding, walking in, looking around, and they just didn't set out table assignments. So you're going to look around the room and you're going to be like, where do I sit? Over here we have the head table. And there's all these important, rich, prominent, lovely people. I love you people. Wow. Welcome to the party. In fact, I kind of want to sit with you people because you've got the best seats. You're going to get the hottest food. You're going to be closest to the bride and the groom. Like, this is where I really want to sit. You know, all you common folk here, you're going to do fine. You've got an okay view. You're going to get your food reasonably in time. And, and you people over here, you're the weird ones. <laughs> You've got the worst seats. You're way far away. You can't see that well. Your food's going to be cold when it gets to you. You're like close to the bathroom, so it's not going to smell that great. The servers are going to be bumping into you. Like, you're, you're kind of the, the weird table over here. So here I walk in, scenario one, Jesus says, this is what not to do, walk into the wedding, look around, you get to pick how much honor to give yourself. He said, this is what not to do. Hello! Hey, how's everybody at the awesome table doing? I'm just going to sit here in the best place in the front. It would be the equivalent of someone showing up to your wedding and appointing himself the best man. I'll just sit here and get my speech ready. Then after I give my speech, you know, I'll give my speech and then everyone in the room will clap. Go ahead and clap for my amazing speech. Oh, oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Now that's the night that I'd like to have. And Jesus says that's pride. He paints a picture of the fool who walks into the room, estimates his own honor and worth as greater than anyone else in the room, and sits in the place of honor. Now listen, you're supposed to understand that that makes a statement to every other person in the room, and it makes a statement to the host. See, I'm going to seat myself. He's not going to seat me. I'm even almost, I know better than him where I'm supposed to sit, see? And I'm kind of dubbing myself more honorable than all of you especially all of you over there. That's a portrait of pride. It's exalting myself. And, and Jesus says, if you do that, what happens? Well, he says, then someone, verse 8, more distinguished than you might be invited. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you'll begin with shame 
to take the lowest place. So here I am at the honored table about ready to give my speech, okay? And then Mark here gets up and says there's been a mistake. Come on, Mark, you've got to tell me there's been a mistake. Oh, uh, and then he takes me by the hand while all of you are watching and walks me to the worst place. Yeah, yeah. No, no, not all the way over here. No! I'm at the worst place now with the weird people. And now all of you have to like show me sympathy by just sighing like, oh, look at that. <laughs> look at that pathetic man who thought he was the best man when he belonged over there. That's, that's the result. That's the outcome. If you give yourself the place of honor, you will end up greatly dishonored. Somebody once said God's plan A is humility. God's plan B is humiliation. If you exalt yourself, if I exalt myself, you will be humbled. It'll happen. Now, in the room with Jesus, can you imagine this? He's at a dinner party. In the room with Jesus, there was only people who were not God. Okay? And yet they looked around the room and they sat Jesus off somewhere. And they all took the places of honor. So he's saying this to show them how foolish they're behaving. Now, you have to understand that He was making a spiritual point. You see, the Pharisees who were giving themselves the greatest place of honor would be humbled. God would strip them of their authority and power when he destroyed the temple in AD 70. And God would, he would take the person, Jesus, who who was humbled and God would exalt Jesus to the highest place in all the heavens. So do you see what he's saying here? He's saying this is what's happening to Christ. Christ came down into this world to take the most humble place so God, the host, God, the host, can lift him up to the greatest place of honor. And he says that's the way he's going to treat you. But listen, understand, this world is not your party. This life is not a banquet in your honor. It's for God's honor. So when you show up to this life and look around the room and decide how much honor and glory you deserve and you should give to yourself, the answer is none. Jesus says, take the lowest place. Pride can be expressed in a couple forms that Jesus describes. Here's the first one. You can write this down. Pride is expressing I'm superior and I want praise. I'm superior and I want praise. It's seating myself in a place of honor God hasn't given me. Uh, pride, is making, pride is making a relational statement to God. I'm going to decide how much honor I get and deserve in this life. Pr- that's the host. I'm not going to wait for him to sit me. I'm going to seat myself. Pride is also making a statement to everyone else in the room. I deserve more honor than all of you, and I'm going to take it for myself. Pride is... Is driven by wanting superiority. But the outward actions of pride, me actually moving over and sitting in this seat, is really just a reflection of the heart. And deep within the heart, pride is embracing a lie that I am somehow superior to anyone else in the room, maybe even to the host, which is God. Did you catch that? Pride is embracing a lie that's not true about myself, that I am somehow inherently, essentially superior to anyone else and maybe even to God. 
Because I've concluded in the secret place of my heart that I'm superior to you, I expect and deserve and demand praise, accolades, applause. Uh, Pride is wanting to be seen, to known, to be known and respected and applauded and admired. Jesus told uh, the people, the Pharisees, love to be seen and love the titles and love the seats of honor. It's the belief that I'm superior that leads me to act and talk and think and feel essentially better than you. Pride is obsessed with comparisons and praise. Somebody said pride is like bad breath. Everyone else knows you have it but yourself. You can't detect your own pride as well as you can detect the pride of others. Am I right? Like we all know first-time parents are usually cocky. Amen? (laughs) You find somebody who just had their first child and they're like one month old and, and they're that mom. They know everything about child rearing and what they should feed their baby and how they're going to raise their baby. And they read the latest blog article and, they, and they're going to tell the mom with six kids or heaven forbid their own parents the right way to do it. And that's pride. And you're like, <laughs> you'll get your humility, child. Just wait. <laughs> Fortunately, Lauren and I, we got our humility child first. She's sitting in the room right now. Ellie is an amazing, godly, wonderful girl. But as a baby, she was colicky. She didn't stop crying for four months straight. I once had to sit on a glider chair, gliding with a vacuum that was going in front of me and my feet on the vacuum, and she was still crying. We love you, honey. You're amazing. (laughs) But you humbled us. (laughs) You know pride when you see it in the lives of others. You don't know it as well when you see it in your own heart. You can detect your own pride when you don't get the thanks you think you deserve, when you don't get the praise you think you've earned, when someone else gets the credit and it eats you up. You can tell that you're operating in pride when you want to be better by comparison. You want to be richer than those you work with or live by, smarter than those sitting next to you in class. Stronger than all others at the gym. Better than those you go to church with. You want the bigger office, the faster car, the hotter girlfriend. It's pride. The truth is, your strengths aren't given to you for your glory. Your strengths, whatever it is that you think makes you supreme, is given to you for God's glory. So that when people look at you, they say, wow, God. Jeremiah 9, 23 to 24, we'll put it up on the screen. Here's what it says. It says, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Here you have the portrayal of a person's own strengths leading him to know God's glory better. See, my strengths and what makes me good and worthy of attention actually shows me me, how amazing God is, because he gave them to me. Pride is concluding I'm superior and therefore deserving of praise from you and from others and maybe even from God. If I exalt myself and seek praise and seat myself in the place of honor I've not uh, been given, I'll be humbled. Now, there's another portrayal of pride Jesus gives us. Hold your place in Luke 14, because we're going to come back to it, and turn to Matthew 18. Turn to Matthew 18. In Matthew 18, 
here's a little background on what's going on here. The disciples frequently got into fights over which of them was the greatest. More than once in the Bible, an argument broke out, and you'd have Peter, and you have, you know, Peter's, I'm the one he called the rock. And then, you know, James, he called me a son of thunder. They're breaking out like they're wrestling names, you know. No, I'm going to be the most amazing. No, I'm, well, it finally got to the point where they were like, well, then let's just go ask Jesus. And they're like, okay, let's go do it. And they all came up to him in Matthew 18. Can you imagine this? And it says in Matthew 18, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Meaning, which one of us? Now, who should Jesus have pointed to? Duh! And they're all expecting one of them to be, all right, fine, it's Peter. See, I told you! Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus could have really, he could have like turned them into frogs. But... Calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them. So he put a kid in the middle of the circle. Said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So who doesn't get to go to heaven? Proud people who've never humbled themselves like a child in front of the presence of God the Father. Uh, The Bible says, in his pride, the wicked does not seek him. In all of his thoughts, there's no room for God. You're born in a state of pride, and if you don't get to the place where you realize you're a child who needs God to hand you salvation, you're not going to heaven. Unless you become like a child, you won't even enter the kingdom of heaven. But, verse 4, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Meaning, when you estimate your own worth and value as a child, you, that person, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Right? This is the second version of pride. It's the desire for power. So write this down. Pride is not just I'm superior and I want praise. Pride is I'm independent and I want power. I'm independent and I want power. It's the first version of pride is assigning to myself more praise and honor than is due to me. The second version of pride is assigning to myself more power and independence and control than God has given me. And the answer to this is a comparison. Jesus says, who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? I'll tell you who's the greatest. The child. How much control, how much independence do you deserve in this life? Do you truly have about as much as a child? That's you. So the sooner you face that and humble yourself, the sooner you'll be exalted. That's not flattering. I, I, I dug up a video of a kid just to, again, give you an idea of what kids do. Do you want to see what kids do? Here's what kids do. Go ahead and show. Here's the video. in the kingdom? That kid. What? What? Like he doesn't even know anything and he can't even do anything alone and he's so vulnerable to needing protection. Pride lies to you about yourself. That is who you are. Do you understand that? Humility is facing it. It's facing up to the reality of just how dependent you are on God's power and control over your life. So pride is desiring independence and power. I want this prominence or authority. 
This shows up in our world. How do I know if this is me? Maybe, maybe you're not the, you, you don't go after the type of pride that gets you on stage and gets everybody clapping for you, but maybe you're more the silent, independent type. You want more control than God has given you over your affairs. Um, this is the wife who tries to control her husband's spending. This is the mom who tries to control her kids' teachers. This is the husband who tries to control his wife's schedule. This is the layman in church who tries to control the leader's decisions. It's a desire for more control than is rightfully yours. The symptoms, if you struggle with this form of pride, is worrying endlessly about the things you can't control, anxiety, which leads you to become bossy with those around you, explosive, controlling, divisive. Why? Why? Because you really think you deserve more control in your life and maybe even in others' lives than you have. Deep down in your heart, there's a lie that you're believing. You're believing you can do a better job than God. That's pride. That's pride. Are you having a hard time getting to sleep? Are you having a hard time finding a place of peace? Maybe it's because... You're trying to take more control over your lives and others that is rightfully yours. You're putting yourself in a higher place of control than you ought to. You're not the guy seeking the best table at the banquet. You're the person who's reaching over into other people's lives and grabbing the wheel and trying to control their actions. You're even reaching up into heaven and bemoaning what God has allowed into your life and trying to re-steer what He's doing because you really have convinced yourself that you need more control because you think you can do better than God. I'm independent and I want power. You'll be humbled. The Bible says you'll be humbled. If you exalt yourself, you'll be humbled. Hey, is God humbling you? Is He humbling you right now? Is He humbling you physically by allowing you to suffer? Reminding you your dust that He breathed on? Is he allowing you to suffer mentally? Your nerves are fried because you're not capable of bearing the burden of the world like he is? Is he humbling you financially? Things have gotten lean, unexpected purchases, bills, setbacks to show you you're not supposed to be your own provider? Is is he humbling you relationally by bringing a difficult person into your life? Someone who makes it hard for you to be kind. Or maybe he's humbling you because you've been a difficult person and others are avoiding you and he's allowing you to see what happens when you're proud. You will be humbled. He's doing it because he wants you to stop pretending that you're perfect and you have it all together. He wants you to stop pretending like you can or should control all the uncertainties in your life and in the lives of other people. He basically wants you to let God be God alone. That's humility. Pride is a, is a search for independence and power that is not rightfully yours. It's a search for superiority and praise that is not righteously yours. And it's exalting yourself. And if you exalt yourself, you'll be humbled. God has definitely been humbling us, uh, Lauren, in, in our life. I told you last week I, have, uh, I had a serious infection in my eye. So I woke up uh, last week in excruciating pain. By Wednesday, I couldn't see my hand with my right eye. It looked like my eye got painted over. I, I went into the uh, doctor for you know, a checkup, and the doctor, you know, they always put the same letter up on the wall, every doctor. 
the answer to the first question is always the same, right? So they put the big E up on the wall, cover my eye, and they're like, what letter do you see? And I said, well, I know the letter because you never changed the answer. But I can't see it. They're like, you can't see it? I said, I can't see it. And they're like, better one or two? I'm like, I can't see it. It doesn't matter what you do. The eye is blind. And it just reminded me, they, they told me how your eye has layers and there's fluid in there and you've got a gland that cleans it out like a pool filter and if it gets, if it gets messed with even for a day, you can't see anymore. And that was so humbling. You know, as I had to wear an eye patch and have other people drive me around and couldn't read and play catch with my kids, like for a whole week, it was so humbling. God will humble you to show you you're not God. He's humbling me to remind me I need him to give me health, to give me wellness. If I exalt myself, I'll be humbled. If I believe I'm superior or independent and want praise and power, I will be humbled. But here's the second half. And we're going to go through the same verses again and just pull out, instead of pride, we'll pull out humility. So if I exalt myself, I'll be humbled. But write this down. If I humble myself, I'll be exalted. If I humble myself, I'll be exalted. So look back at Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. So Jesus told in the parable... The first guy walked in and uh, sat down in the place of honor. Verse 9, um, the, the host came to him and said, Give your place to this person. And then with shame, that person was humiliated. Now look at verse 10. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place. So here's humility. Here's humility. All right, just arrived at this wedding. Looks like, huh, a lot of common folk here. A lot, wow, look at those people over there. They're pretty smart, handsome, famous, rich, prominent. Where should I sit? Well, I haven't really seen the host yet, so I'll just take the lowest place over here with all the weird people. Why? Why? Because I've decided this is about all I'm allowed to give myself. No real honor. None. I'm going to give myself no honor. And I'm going to wait for that host who's seen me, Mark, from across the room, realizes I've somehow mistakenly I've sat down in the wrong place. And he's going to, well, let, let me read what it says. It says, sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, here's your line, Mark, friend, move up higher. Oh, then you'll be honored in the presence of all. Come on. Oh. See, now you're not only honoring me because I belong at this table, but he didn't even know it. He sat with those people. We didn't even sit with those people over there. <laughs> and then I end up in the place that the host has given me. Um, that's humility. Humility is when, when I have the ability, I give myself the place of least honor, meaning I don't, I don't expect or feel in my heart I deserve any honor or sense of superiority over anyone in this room, okay? And I don't expect praise from anyone in this room, and I'm willing to surrender and wait for the host. The host in, in this parable at the end of the day is God himself. I'm allowing God himself to decide how much honor and attention and whatever else I receive in this life, I've let it go to him. God's my PR manager. If I humble myself, I'll be exalted, Humility is therefore taking the lowest place and letting God decide how to honor you. 1 Peter 5.5 5, uh, says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility 
toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I like this. The Bible says you have to put humility on like you put clothing on. You got to put it on every day. When it comes to humility, listen, you didn't wake up wearing it. You got to put it on again every day. It's like deodorant. If you miss a day, you stink. Okay, and the younger you are, the more you need. Humility. Humility. It's something you have to put on every day. Now, there's two forms of humility that Jesus portrays here, too. The first one, write this down, is humility is I'm inferior and I give away all praise. I'm inferior and I give away all praise. Uh, This is expressed in how you relate to God. Meaning you look up and you understand there's an amazing, awesome, great God who rules the universe. He has all strength. He has all wisdom. He has all authority. And this world is a banquet in honor of him. It's not my party. It's a party for him. And I'm here to celebrate him. If you don't understand how vastly inferior you are to God, you won't worship him. You won't worship him. And, and we tell people in our membership class, the first step of true discipleship is you worship Christ. You understand he's God the Son who came into this world. He left the glory of heaven for this. And then he saved you from your sins on the cross. You worship him because you understand how superior he is to you. Hey, remember why you're here. Isaiah 43, 7 says God made you for his glory. What does that mean to glorify God? Do you know what that means? It means to display and enjoy God's greatness. To display and enjoy His greatness. It doesn't say that if you humble yourself, you'll get stuck forever with the weird people over there and be a nobody. Okay? I'm going hard on you guys. I'm sorry. I love you all. (laughs) You're just at the worst table. (laughs) He says, if you humble yourself, He wants to draw attention to your life. He wants to write things in your life that are worth reading. He wants things to happen to you. He wants to allow you opportunities that draw attention, maybe even applause, maybe even, maybe even giving you authority. He wants to do that, but he gets to be the hero. He gets all the glory because he's the one who told you where to sit. And it's clear in your heart that you give him the praise. Humility believes deeply in your own heart that you are inferior to God and you give him all the glory. It also believes, though, that you should give other people more honor than yourself. Wait a minute. What do you mean I'm inferior to other people? Well, it means that you understand that there's an equality in Christ, meaning you walk into the banquet hall, you look around, and you see no one who is inferior to you. No one. Not even the lowest of the low. You understand in Christ all are equal. I deserve no honor greater than you do. We've all got the same Savior, the same depravity, the same inheritance, the same word. We're the same. When I understand there's an equality, based on that, I'm called to act functionally inferior to you. Meaning I know we're all equal. I don't have to fight for or lust for glory. I know I've got just as much as you do, but I'm going to relate to you by giving you greater honor than I give myself because God gave me more honor than I deserve. You see, so I put myself in a lower seat than all of you. I know we're equal, but I'm honoring you above myself because that's what my Savior did. 
Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Humility means in my heart, deeply within my heart, I believe I am not superior to anyone in this room. I believe that God has given other people honor and glory, and therefore I'm free to honor you above myself. That's humility. It's willing to give away praise and honor to other people. There's a second form of humility now. Let's look back at Matthew Verse 18, which of us is the greatest? Which one of us? Tell us, is it me or? Calling to him a little child, he put them in their midst and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Here's here's a picture of a child, just to get your perspective again. Here's a picture of a child. There's a kid. What does it mean to humble myself? Uh, Humbling myself means that's me. That's me. It's insulting to your pride, but that really is you, okay? The thing about humility is it's true. That is you. You are that dependent on God. You are that ignorant compared to Him. You are that needy for Him to take care of you. That is you. Humility is believing the truth about yourself. Pride is believing a lie about yourself. That is you. I don't know. I've been to school. I've got degrees. I can do some things. Do you know what I learned last week when I was in lots of waiting rooms? I read an article about our universe. Do you know that it says in the middle of our Milky Way galaxy is a a supermassive black hole. All of the billions of suns in our galaxy spin around a supermassive black hole. Do you know what black holes do to stars? They suck them in and tear them to pieces and spit their guts out all over the galaxy. That's what black holes do. Supermassive black holes. Your whole world spins around one of those. And you're worried about college tuition and gas prices? You don't trust God to watch over your kids when you're not around? Like... God's taking care of some pretty big, serious problems for you every moment. And you're not going to trust Him with these microscopic fears of yours? The truth is, I am already dependent on God to keep my whole universe together. When they figured out the whole universe was moving and nothing was stationary, the truth that they discovered was God is the only stable thing in your world. Nothing else you can trust to bring you stability. No one else you can trust to give you security. God is the only stable thing in your entire universe. The kid is you. You're that. That's how we were put in this world. So dependent on him and facing it makes you humble. If I'm dependent, I'm willing to give away power. You can write that down if you haven't already. Humility is I'm inferior So I'll give away praise, but I'm also dependent like a child, so I'm willing to give away power and control. I'm willing to give it away. I don't have to hoard it or believe that I alone should wield it. I'm willing to give it away. How does this version of pride show up in the heart? Well, this is a person who's willing to let go of control in their lives, in their own lives. This is a person who submits to authority even when it's 
imperfect. This is a wife who trusts her husband to lead even when he fails. She's not bitter. She's not contentious. This is a husband who doesn't put his wife on a leash or micromanage her. This is a mom who lets her kids solve their own problems and even fail and then teaches them to run first to Jesus and not to her. This is an employee who understands that their boss is imperfect and uses it not as an excuse to slander, but to pray. You see, I understand I'm dependent like a child. I deserve about as much control over other people as a child does over the parent. Not much. And I'm willing to let go. I'm willing to let go of control. I don't have to be God to myself or to others. That's humility. It's, it's seeing that you really are inferior to God and you should act inferior to others who God has honored. It's seeing I'm dependent on God and understanding that I should also help others and serve them and not expect to be served by them. Matthew twenty three eleven, Jesus said, The greatest among you shall be your servant, taking the lowest place in terms of authority and entitlement. That's humility. I really want you to have a clear understanding of what humility and what pride look like so you can clothe yourself with humility each morning. Here's a chart that I put together. This just kind of lays out pride and humility as you can express it in three relationships. You know, when it comes to others, pride is honoring myself above others. I use others, control others, and want to be served by others. Humility is honoring others above myself. I love others, serve others, and applaud others. When it comes to my own view of myself, pride is crediting myself with all I am and all I have. It's mine. I love myself and praise myself more than others. Humility is crediting God with all I am and have. I love Him, thank Him, serve Him for all that I am and all that I have. Uh, When it comes to your relationship to God, pride is competing with God for supremacy in your life. I trust myself and obey myself and try to control God and others. Humility is embracing God's supremacy in every area of my life. It means I trust Him and obey Him in everything. I went through a lot of different verses on pride and humility this week and just tried to to sketch out what does does a proud person do? What does a humble person do? Let me just read the descriptions that I came up with. Um, What does the proud person do? The proud person doesn't pray doesn't listen to advice, denies or hides sin, teaches his own thoughts or the thoughts of other men, seeks his own glory and honor, partially obeys when convenient and easy and costs little, feels entitled to much from God and others, believes he owns and deserves good things, accomplishes things apart from Christ, holds things in life with a tight grip, fights God for direction and control, When suffering comes, he sinks into despair and fear. He despises discipline from God and so avoids change of character, wallows in self-pity, complains endlessly and does even more damage to relationships because he refuses to be humbled. He doesn't worship Christ joyfully, doesn't work for Christ faithfully, won't associate with the lowly, plays favorites, won't submit to authority or treat others with respect. That's the proud person. What about the humble person? The humble person prays, asks for advice, weeps over his own sin, teaches what God taught him, seeks God's glory and honor, obeys without compromise, 
feels entitled to nothing, believes God provides everything, knows he can do nothing apart from Christ, holds everything in this life with open, surrendered hands, believes God's perfect will is best, suffers patiently with hope, endures discipline as a son, worships without fear, works for Christ faithfully, associates with the lowly, shows no favoritism, submits to imperfect authority with respect. That's the humble person. As I looked through these biblical descriptions of pride and humility and tried to figure out which one best describes me, I'd have to honestly say both, depending on the day, depending on the person who's on the phone, both. And I think you could honestly probably say both too, because pride is something we have to clothe ourselves with every day. But the good news is, if we humble ourselves, we'll be exalted. God will write an amazing story in our life worth reading. He'll give us opportunities and maybe even authority that we can use to serve others. As people look at us, they'll see what God did. They'll see he came through. They'll see he was the hero again. They'll see he sustained you through the trial. Our lives then glorify him in every way. Humility leads to honor. Pride leads to disgrace. I don't know what God is using to humble you right now, but you have to understand that God needs his kids humble. A couple of years ago, I got really into Mount Everest and trying to figure out what the appeal was, and I started reading about what it took to get ready to climb Everest. Here's a picture, the, the tallest mountain in the world. And so uh, take this as an as a image, a picture of pride, trying to get to the highest place and climb up above everybody else, right? Do you know one of the biggest dangers if you were to go to climb Everest is your body knows that it's in a dangerous place. Once you, in fact, get up over a certain altitude, they call it the death zone, your body starts to die. You can't live up there for longer than like a day and a half or two days. Okay, so once you get up there, um, your body starts doing all sorts of weird things. And one of the biggest fears that people uh, have is, is something called a cerebral edema. It means the oxygen deprivation causes your brain to swell. And pressure in your brain causes you to hallucinate. So imagine this, you're climbing Everest with your crew, right? And if you develop a cerebral edema, just are you following what I'm saying? Your head starts to get bigger. You're climbing up the mountain and your head literally starts to get bigger. Do you see how that kind of portrays pride? Do you know that when that starts to happen, you start doing such foolish things? You're convinced that you're too hot. So you start to take your clothes off. So you're climbing Everest and some dude's taking his gloves and his hat off and starts stepping out of his snow pants on Everest. And you're like, what's he doing? Well, the Sherpas know what's going on. They know their head is swelling. In addition, you think that you can walk back down to base camp. So after you get your snow pants off, you start walking off the side of the mountain. And then they have to tackle you. And it happens, in, it happens so quickly. And do you know the only thing they can do to save your life? There's only one thing that will save you. They've got to get you lower. You have to get to lower altitude now. And if they can't get you lower, you die. And if they get you lower, the brain swelling goes down and you survive. Do you see how physically dangerous it is to get to that prominent place on the world? Spiritually, God knows the same thing. When you start swelling up in your head and trying to get up the mountain, the only thing God can do to save you is to knock you down. If you exalt yourself, he will humble you. And I think God is always humbling his children. The question is, what is he using in your life to humble you right now? And are you allowing him to develop humility in your heart? 
You have a choice. You can allow him to humble you, or he'll do it anyway. Humility or humiliation, it's your choice. I want to give you a chance right now to respond in prayer to what you've heard by humbling yourself before the Lord and allowing him to be the one who gives you whatever honor he wants, whatever power he wants. He's free to give. He's free to take away. Let me give you a chance right now to close your eyes, to bow your head, and to humble yourself before the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we so often need reminders that we are not God and that you are. Uh, We don't know everything. We don't know anything. We don't have the power to control our own lives or finances or health. Nor do we have the authority or capability to control the lives of others. Lord, we just want you to be God. We want in our own hearts to repent of pride and to let you be God. So, Father, right now we just confess the areas in our lives where we have attempted to get more prominence, more praise, more honor, trying to convince ourselves we're superior in some way. Father, we confess that. We turn from that. We let go of that. And we humbly seat ourselves in the lowest place, freeing you to give us whatever honor or privilege or attention that you see fit. Father, forgive us for seeking independence from you. We're little children. We're little children who need you to lead us and provide for us in every way and protect us. We're in a universe that's filled with treacherous dangers that we can't even imagine, let alone control. How foolish of us to think we can hold our worlds together. We repent of it, Lord. We repent of the pride of trying to control our lives and our schedules independently of you. Trying to direct our lives or the lives of those we love independently of you. Forgive us for appointing more strength and control to ourselves than we deserve. Lord, we release and surrender our lives and our loved ones into your hands. We trust you. Father, teach us humility and exalt us writing stories of your greatness and we'll bring glory to you. This is our prayer in your name.